Hello and welcome to another episode of Accounting Insiders. My name is Gary Dehart. I am the host of Accounting Insiders and the publisher of Insightful Accountant and Tax Practice News. Uh, my guest, again, uh, a throwback guest, a return guest is uh, Isaac Keller. The actually, I should know this, but is CEO and co-founder, right, of Trillion. That's right, CEO, co-founder, Trillion. If we're speaking a couple times in a couple months, it must mean something happened. Something <laughs> happened. What could possibly have happened in the, the market in the past? I don't know, two weeks uh, that that you know, that impacts small businesses, that impacts right. individuals and accounting professionals. But but welcome, Isaac. So. We're going to dive into that. What did happen? There was a little bank out west uh, called Silicon Valley Bank. That yeah, uh, definitely. Well, we we can we can be cheeky about it now because the money was recovered in terms of depositors, but this was a really serious and scary event. So Silicon Valley Bank, um, really one of the premier regional banks, a top twenty bank, uh, you know, approximately two hundred billion dollars in asset under management collapsed and it collapsed very, very quickly um, in a, a really an unprecedented bank run. Um, just about SVB, um, it's it's Silicon Valley Bank, but it's not just Silicon Valley. It does have a very high concentration of tech and bio companies on the West Coast, but our company, which was founded in New York and has operations globally, is and really now was an SVB user. So Trulian, a, a small, yeah, small, we're, you, know, you can call us a small medium business. Uh, we do have some, some private equity venture capital backing um, and we banked with SVP. We really liked the tools and the services and the management that they provided. And we're not a classic Silicon Valley uh, company. So you know you had everything from charter schools to nonprofits to farmers banking with Silicon Valley Bank. And what happened was, there was a bank run really on Thursday, March. Let me get this right. It really was on Thursday, March the 9th, and then continued into the evening up until Friday, March the 10th, whereby the bank was actually shut down and moved into receivership by the FDIC, the Federal you know, Deposit Insurance Corporation of the, right. of the United States. Okay, so the way that this kind of went down was SVB had an earning call. SVB is a publicly traded bank. They had an earning call, which reported the, you know, the happenings of the business. There were some uh, things happening in the business that uh, scared shareholders. Uh, just in, at a high level, they have a held to market, uh, sorry, so held to, held to cash and held to maturity bond portfolio, right? Okay. And when they reported a certain chunk of that portfolio as held to maturity, that created what's called unrealized losses on the balance sheet. In fact, they had been holding these held to maturity for a while, so they were exposed or slightly over leveraged, but it was more leveraged than it was expected from the shareholders. So what that did was that created a, a, a shake in the stock, kind of a, 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 a uh, the stock actually started to fall down because the shareholders lost confidence. These are equity holders in SVB. That bump in confidence influenced a lot of the fund managers and venture capital firms that had multiple portfolio companies under them. 
And due to an abundance of caution, they recommended to their portfolio companies that they move their, their money out of Silicon Valley Bank. Okay. Now, as we know with human nature, um, everyone thinks they are individuals, but in a bank run, everyone's actually together. And I personally, as a as a as an entrepreneur, as a founder, was on WhatsApp groups and Twitter groups and Slack groups where everyone was starting to pull it out. So obviously, me, we have 60 people on payroll, right? We're going to start protecting our people in our business and we're going to pull it out. So that's what happened. SVB collapsed in miraculous fashion. Over 42 billion was pulled out in that, let's call it 24 hour less window. When we went out uh, Thursday night, we had um, a, a large amount, over 10 million, I'll just say it. Um, it you know, it's publicly, it's public knowledge that our company has raised um, kind of eight figure financing rounds. So we uh, had over $10 million in the bank. We did try to pull it out along with many others, uh, again, out of an abundance of caution for our employees, not trying to trigger any sort of bank run. And um, by the next day, the, the bank had collapsed and our transfer had still not left, left SVB to Chase, where we keep another bank account. Um, that was very scary. So when the bank fully collapsed by Friday, the FDIC took it under and everyone realized that only 250,000 is insured by the FDIC. I think people's default knowledge was that the government would essentially bail out uh, a bank like that. And so no, in nobody's imagination, did they think as a depositor, they would lose their money. But when that reality came to light that literally legally 250,000 was insured, that scared a lot of people, including myself. Um, and, sure. you know, fortunately by, by Sunday, this, the, the Fed had stepped in um, and uh, the, all the depositors were insured. The equity holders were wiped out, which I do believe was, was the right choice. And very rarely do people commend our government these days for, you know, some decision they make, but they, right. they made a good, they made a good thoughtful decision this time. So, so you don't have, uh, you know, $9.75 million uh, under your mattress? <laughs> uh, no, we don't. Too. But, but uh, I, I, it's a really good point. There will be a, a generation of small business owners and entrepreneurs that banked with Silicon Valley Bank that will forever change the way they, they do cash management. Uh, and it'll be, it'll be extremely conservative and probably distributed. Right. Yeah, we had one of our... Uh, one of our customers, I'd reached out to him and just said, hey, does this impact you at all? Because they're a, uh, a younger startup. And he's like, yeah, he said, unfortunately, kind of very similar to, to what you just stated. He had, you know, his advisors had reached out to him early and said, this is going to be a problem. You need to get your cash. And he said, so technically, I guess we were part of the problem. But I mean, your cash right and so yeah yeah you can't blame you can't blame anyone individually right for for the these decisions and and look i mean it, it's an interesting feeling on a personal level um there's a big difference between if your personal funds are at risk especially if they're insured up to two hundred fifty thousand. because i can tell you that i wouldn't be worried if my personal bank account uh, and I, if I had 250,000 of insurance, my personal bank right. account, but when, but when you have a payroll and amazing employees and team members, um, just the vulnerability of, of feeling like that much money can be pulled from you and not even being able to make payroll the next day right. when, you know, you had payroll for years, 
that's a really, really um, unprecedented feeling. Right. And I mean, and, and not to turn it to a COVID conversation, but, you know, and coming off of COVID, we had some similar issues, you know, three years ago or two and a half years ago, whatever the time frame was. And it's like, we're, it's, it's like we have just this ongoing challenge, right? Which my first question was, do we ever learn? And I don't want to go too deep into that, but, you know, roll the, roll the clock 15 years ago. Right. Things happening on a, on a bigger scale. Um, you know, and here we are. So it's just, I, it, it's, it's hard to have confidence when right. doing the same thing over and over, it seems. Um, but I don't want to go too deep into that because I know you've got limited time and we had a couple of things that we definitely wanted to touch on. So, so how do we avoid this in the future? Uh, that's actually right. Good there. So, well, let's, no, I mean, we'll, yeah. we'll get a little deep here. I mean, your, your point is very valid. I think it's important. We all understand and reflect on the fact that you know, we as a nation, we as kind of a financial community, we're insecure. Collectively, we're insecure right now. We've taken a lot, whether it was the 2008 or COVID, right, or this most recent uh, SVB. There is a, these things are happening a little bit more than we would expect, right? And so that's, I think, something that's important we acknowledge. As you move into how it can be avoided, well, first, um, you have to deal with the axioms. And I could say one axiom is, is that change takes a long time to implement, right? And so you have to deal with that, whether you're deciding on what to change or you're deciding what could realistically be implemented that, it be implemented. Okay, so if you look at 2008, financial crisis, actually a lot of things were changed. Mortgage-backed securities are nowhere close to where they were back then when you could have um, bad credit borrowers basically propping up very, very large financial institutions through, through securitization. Um, a lot more banking regulation came in and actually made banking a safer space. And, and interestingly, SVB, their balance sheet, which showed these unrealized losses, was publicly available to a lot of people for a long time. So we did make the change and we implemented the change. So the fact that something still happened means that the world is just moving much faster than we can keep up with. So, you know, now that when we talk about how we can avoid it, okay, great, let's look at the auditors. Well, KPMG did the audit, right? And KPMG actually did the audit of, I think it was Signature and First Republic, which have also been underwater. Um, KPMG followed procedures. You know, again, they published a balance sheet that showed unrealized losses. So how can you go back and say that's the auditor's fault? What, the auditor was supposed to predict a bank run, right? But then you could dig in and, and you could actually say, well, there were some issues there. There was a high concentration of tech companies. You know, the ratio of depositors that have more than 250,000 versus the unrealized losses was on another quadrant than all the other banks that have that similar ratio. And you can't really blame the auditors for working within the existing framework, but you might be able to say to yourself, well, auditors could do a lot more if we reframe this a little bit more. You have to look at the regulations. I think GAP did fine. GAP was where they needed to be in terms of putting more guardrails on this whole health to maturity accounting, which by the way, every bank does. So it's not like SVB was, you know, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, everyone uses health to maturity accounting. Um, SEC. 
You know, should banks be publicly traded? I, I don't know. I think we should sit here and stop trying to dissect what went wrong and think really, really big and just admit to ourselves, going back to your first point, that the pace of business is frenetic and we need to maybe think of more futuristic or third party approaches to this beyond just blaming the auditors and, and gap. So that's where we, we stand. I can get a little yeah. bit more into, into the recommendations we're making. Um, but we, we, we have to just agree that no matter what we do, it, it's hard and we probably have to stop just thinking about the things that we've always done and, and, and really just get creative and a little yeah. bit more, a little bit more uh, bold, let's say. Yeah. And, and, and I'm no auditor and, and I certainly couldn't speak from the side of an auditor, but I mean, their job is to set, is to go in, right? And dissect it and look at it and say, hey, here's the facts. Here's what we found, right? It's not really necessarily their job. And this is a question, it's not necessarily yeah. their job to make recommendations. They're just there to go and, and look and say, this is what we found. Right. Well, 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 let's think big for a second. Let's let's just frame it a little bit differently. If you're if you're an auditor, when auditors are invented or auditors start to really pop up more, whatever, whatever decade it is, you know, you go to school and you're you have a very, very still to this day, but you have a very, very high integrity and a high duty around making sure that you are, let's say, flagging and managing risk for the financial shareholders, stakeholders and shareholders. Like that is a, that is like a principle of what you do. Fast forward a few decades later. Yeah. That's still, you know, the subtitle of your CPA uh, diploma or whatever it is, but realistically you're going in there, you're cleansing some data, you're enforcing gap, you're doing some SOX compliance. And I think it's okay to say now that if you revert to the core principles of being an auditor and accountant, you may be able to admit now that we're we're behind the eight ball, right? And we're not doing what we originally set out to do. So yes, you're right that they were doing their job, but at the same time, auditors should be challenging themselves, their partners, their um, rule makers, and saying, guys, we're behind and this is only going to get worse and we need to think about how to bridge the gap is is uh is ai part of that bridge i would imagine that yeah. it is. well it, it is and and you know obviously it's very powerful but also by default you need to be looking at the latest and greatest tools and and you know experiments once upon a time uh, an intuit database was an innovation once upon a time an excel spreadsheet was an innovation and each of those helped accountants and auditors do their job a lot better um Look, I, I don't know if AI solves the equation of quantifying risk for SVB or some of these more complex uh, situations. What I do know is that it can really, really be applied to the uh, data extraction layers and some basic Q&A technical accounting layers, which then frees up your time and energy for the larger risk quantification, right? And the more strategic thinking. And I know I know everyone says that, but it's real. And let me just try to, you know, codify that for a second, okay? Think of um, your role as an accountant or auditor. Again, I'm, I'm using accountant, like the, the royal accountant. Yeah. There's essentially three kind of, 
three, let's call it three layers of things you do. We're talking about corporate accounting specifically. It can be applied in different areas. But the first layer is, is data synthesis. You got to get the data, PDFs, Excel systems, and you got to figure it out. That's the first layer. The second layer is you got to be able to answer questions around judgments, right? And I'm talking about basic questions. I know the standard. I read the standard. This is how this is treated, right? Mm -hmm. That's the second layer. The third layer is an advice and a judgment and a creativity layer. Well, you guys are compliant SVB, but we've done some analysis here and you have we, we've actually kind of compared, benchmarked you against other banks. And this whole tech concentration is very unique, right? And we've seen susceptibility to not just a bank run, but other events, tech you know, TikToks go viral in a minute. Why can't a bank run happen in a minute, right? It's the same thing. You push a button, right? And so my point is, is with those three layers, you can then look at AI, which is compounding in terms of its power right now. Chat GPT-4 just came out. Um, it's ubiquitous. Open AI is being integrated into a lot more tools. Google, Microsoft are coming out with their own AI models. Facebook as well. I mean, this thing is real. So if you accept the fact that this AI is becoming um, kind of accessible, more and more accessible, then you can apply more of that AI to the first layer, which is data synthesis, extracting anything from you know, documents to, to invoices, to bank statements, to even systems. So that's number one, okay? You got, you got some time back, Mr. Account, Mr. Auditor, or Mrs. Second layer is the technical accounting questions. This is scarier. Because everyone knew the first was coming. Everyone knew you could get data out of invoices. But the second is really what ChatGPT is showing you. You can, it's called generative AI. You can go into a Q&A, ask it a question, hey, how should I amortize it? And it's going to answer with more and more confidence than, than ever before. And that stuff is compounding very quickly. And you can assume that if it's written in a 100-page standard, it's answerable in a you know 100-word chatbot. And, and, and so now that's becoming accessible. So you get number one, which is the data extraction. You get number two, which is those kind of technical standards-based questions. Let AI solve that. Not, not 100%, but like let it cover 90% of those categories. Sit on top to make sure that it's doing its job, like your own little personal you know, Roomba, whatever you want to call it. And then take your time, sit in the third box, Take a little bit of time to think about new standards, new way to quantify a risk. Turn yourself from a SOX gap auditor to a, to a partner for, you know, the CFO and the shareholder. So that's, you know, Gary, that's how I'm thinking about it. Uh, yeah. I mean this genuinely. We see it every day. And the way to solve SVB is, is not to go change a bunch of things. It's to use technology to free up more time so that you can actually, you know, get ahead of these situations. Yeah, red flags going off everywhere, right? And oh yeah, and it's and it can be right there on your desktop. So I know you've got to run. Um, just can you close just with um, thoughts on or what you might be reading? You're pretty close to this. Just kind of the you know bank contagion or or fallout that we might see rumbling forward. Because I've read different articles here and there and. I don't know if it's one you just wrote something for us, and I don't know if it was in yours or another one that I read, but saying that there's another 150 or so banks that are questionable. Right. Um, Look, I think so. First of all, it's it's true, right? Uh, because that's how a, a, 
bank runs now, you know, spill over to other banks, right? Because they're regional banks. And if SCB is a regional bank, why can't it be Signature or First Republic, right? Or Citizens or New York Community or Apple Bank. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm from Texas. We've got our own regional banks, you know? So I think the scariest part is not the risk of bank contagion, which is real. I think the scariest part is we all know in our heart now that it can happen at any time. That's the scariest part. Um, that's not an accounting question. That's not an audit question. That's a question of the power of technology and the combination with human nature in you know our era. Um, that's what's scary to me. I've got to now be on guard for another one of these any moment, and I have no way to predict it. Yeah, no, and, and and it's not easy to, and how do you, I mean, again, you got you know, $10 million in the bank. How do you spread that? You don't, you got it. You got <laughs> one of the big boys. You got one of the big boys. I can tell you that we got, you know, all, all of us, the companies at SVB, we got a call from Chase. We got a call from Wells Fargo. They said, Hey, we want to catch up. So that's where we are. Right. Which probably has its own problems. There you right. go. So that's that's for our next that's for our next episode. Exactly. So I know you got to run. Thank you so much for taking some time. Thanks, Gary. Have your day to have this discussion. We certainly appreciate it. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Isaac. See you. Bye. Good week. All right. Bye. Bye.